Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's featured message. How's everybody doing today? So what we're going to talk about, as you can see up here, is how do we improve safety by understanding people? How many of you think when it comes to safety, there's a lot of it that's a people issue? Raise your hand. Look at that. What do you do about it? Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. You fire Bob, then you hire Mark, who what? Does the same exact thing Bob does. So we have two issues. Both of them are related to culture. Okay? You have the American culture. Let's just face it. Guys and gals aren't wrenching in the backyard with dad anymore. Right? So when it comes to mechanical things and safety, even if they went to Maplewood, which is a great school, or they went to Fortis or wherever the heck they went to out there, even though they learn a skill set in college, they're not growing up wrenching like they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. So the aptitude has shifted in our culture. The second thing is, if you continually have policies and procedures, policies and procedures, policies and procedures, and no one's listening and no one cares, guess what you have? You have a people issue. You know, Nick gets in your facilities way more than I do, but when we travel around and go to different conferences, one thing that we hear just talking to everyday folks like yourself, whether it's HR, safety managers, quality control people, is there's always a story about how someone's not complying, right? We all admit that? Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some issues here, some things to think about, and give you some strategies on that. So these are going to be seven things that'll make or break your safety culture. So what is culture? Who knows what culture is? Raise your hand. Because sometimes we just kind of throw it out there and we never actually break it down and really think about what culture actually is. A culture is, it's defined as the behaviors and beliefs, characteristics of a particular social, ethnic, or age group. So your workplace has particular behaviors, right? And belief systems. It's a way of life of particular people as shown in their ordinary behavior, habits, and attitudes toward one another, Okay. So how many of you go into work and you're happy before you went to work and you get mad? And if your boss is here, keep your hand down. Raise your hand. Now, if you work for FCS like I do, it's different than that. Everybody loves what we do. So we come into work happy. So when I come to work, I'm happy. We have a happy culture, at least where I work. So that is culture. FCS has a happy culture. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. So if you see an attitude, here's some indicators. How many of you have an us versus them? Like your staff looks at you like you're the man. The mysterious man that we blame everything on. How many between management and staff have an us versus them mentality in your workplace? Raise your hand. Okay. If you have a union, you should probably raise your hand because it's usually, yeah, got real quiet in here. Okay. I'm not bashing a union. I'm just saying these are attitudes and culture. If you have people on a tow motor and you're trying to chase them down to put their hard hat or seatbelt on and they flip you the bird, guess what? And there's more than one person that does it. You know, here's what I learned in my own life. If I get mad at one person, it's probably them being stupid. If I get mad at two people, I got a question. If I hit three or more, I know it's me. Does that make sense? So if I'm mad at everybody else, if I'm the boss and we're in our factory and I'm dealing with one issue, it's an isolated event, it's just that employee. But if I'm dealing with it three, four, five people on every shift, that's a clear indication that we have a culture issue. So we can fire Bob, but we'll hire Mark. We'll fire Mark, we'll hire Ray, and guess what? If the culture is the same, it'll be the same. 
Now, culture problems or people problems. Every one of our issues can be settled down to this with safety. Procedural issues, people issues. How many of you got all the policy manuals so thick that nobody can read it? It's about that tall on the table. Rules, rules, rules. How many people follow it? There's usually one guy that annoys everybody else that actually read the thing. No? All right. So culture problems are always people problems. Now, this really smart guy from Harvard created this thing called the elephant and the rider. Now, these two brothers, Chip and Dan Heath, wrote an entire book about this on this premise. It's amazing. Real simple idea, like an allegory to kind of paint a picture for you, okay? How this works. Totally applicable to safety. They call it the elephant metaphor, right? You see this little guy on top? He's the rider. Guess what that represents? Your rational mind or reasoning, okay? Now look at the elephant. What is the elephant? It's your emotional mind. Uh-oh. What's the path? He's walking on a path. Have you ever seen the little cartoons where a little mouse would go across an elephant and they get scared and run? The path is the environment that you work in, okay? That could be a social environment. That could be the layout of the floor plan. How many times have you had to go to a facility and you realize, like, hey, there's no tow motor lanes blocked off. And the reason why people are getting hurt is because they have to take this and pack it over here. It's the same way the tow motor goes, right? Is that a rational issue? Is that an emotional issue? Or is that an environmental? It's an environmental issue. So all these three factors play. What about training? Which one of these the training hit? Rational. Okay, so if we need to fix this, we need to lock it out and tag it out, right? Now, what about the emotional side? How come you have rules and policies for seatbelts or hard hats and people don't do it? The rational idea is you wear a hard hat and you're safe. It makes sense. But are they worried about that? How many people smoke cigarettes but know it's bad for them? Is education the answer? Is more training the answer? You're not smoking to kill you. How many of you have ever gone to Christmas and had to hear that or you the guy that tells everyone that? You know, that'll kill you. Smoking causes cancer. Thanks a lot, Sherlock, right? Everybody knows that, but do people still do it? Yes, okay. So do you think this little rider on top, this big, huge elephant can control that thing? YouTube would say no. Have you ever seen some of these videos? Flipping over cars, these things go crazy. So your emotions, according to one Harvard professor, is literally at least 85% of your decision-making is driven by emotions. I have a master's degree in marketing. You know what they taught us? Emotional marketing is more effective than any facts you could ever imagine. And even if you market with facts and emotion, just appealing straight to emotions is much more effective type of marketing. That's why you see dumb commercials. You're like, I don't even know what you're selling. They don't care. They're striking up an emotional chord with you, right? And we sit, what are they thinking? They're not thinking. They're emotionally driven, okay? Now, the path of the environment has a role to play in this. Now, there is a place for the rider, okay, especially in cold moments. You know the difference between hot and cold moments. Now, the good thing about training is they say if you address issues in a cold moment, like these safety council meetings, people are much more likely in the heat of the moment, in hot moments, to do the right thing than they would if they didn't have that cold moment. So is your people problem the elephant of the room? And I just want to make a note that Nick told a story when we were doing podcasts one day, and I thought it's just absolutely brilliant that needs to be talked about. And I never hear when I go to safety training, I never hear anyone talk about it, okay? Is he's working on the line with a customer, and the safety manager's kind of fired up that no one's wearing their hearing protection. 
So as Nick goes in there and starts to investigate the situation, he starts talking to the guys. How come you're not wearing your hearing protection? Guess what? Their job required them to communicate. Guess what they couldn't do well with hearing protection in? Communicate. So what is the solution? He found funny for them to get electronic noise canceling <coughs> headphones they could, with a microphone they can communicate with. So just driving the same policy, 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 rolls, 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 rolls. If they didn't listen the first 60 times, they're probably not going to listen the second 60 times, even if you threaten to fire them. Okay? I know this can offend you a little bit, but this is a big issue we really need to see, especially when it comes to that emotional side of stuff. All right. You ready for this? Seven things that will make or break your safety culture. Number one, perception of organizational ethics. Okay? You hear me talk about it a lot. There's a reference here at the bottom if you want to look at the PowerPoint, which is online. University of Auburn did a study a few years back where they went on offshore oil well rigs and they did a safety training. Offshore oil well rig guys on the water, tough guys, kind of like the deadly catch people. Like none of us would want to do that probably, no matter how much you paid us because people falling off in the, never mind. Okay, so they did this study and this is what they found. Direct correlation between safety and these a handful of things, we're going to cover those. The first one is organizational ethics. Here's the thing about this that's crazy. You could say, we run an ethic organization, but you know what they're judging the ethics of the organization on the entire company? It's not how ethical the company is. It's actually how ethical their frontline supervisor is. You're number one representative. So if you have a bitter, angry, mean supervisor, guess what? They view your entire company based off their experience with their supervisor. This whole company's going to hell. You ever heard that? They're mad at someone. Probably the guy yelling at him or writing him up, right? People issue. Okay? This can be influenced by management's words or actions. Gossip. Pressure to act or perform unethically. Pressure to act or perform unsafely. Oh, hey, we're not going to report this because I don't want to have to pay the comp cost. Anyone ever do that? Here's another one. I'm working for a box plant in Portage County as a young man. Have all this 1972 safety training videos I did not pay attention to. Anyone have those? Just good advice to update those because none of us, you know, none of us listen. You had to wear your lockout tag out on your hip. Guess what happened if they came around and did like, you know, kind of like New York City, stop and frisk. Where's your tag? Where's your lockout tag? Because we're serious about safety around here. So serious, right? Guess what happened if they caught you without that lock? You got fired on the spot. Zero tolerance. Guess what they had everywhere? They had stuff like this. My job was on a conveyor. Guess what they had on the conveyor? A giant sign that said, do not walk on a conveyor. Guess what they had? A gate that opened to the conveyor. And my job description was, go walk on the conveyor and pull samples and measure it right off the conveyor. From an employee standpoint, I would ask, am I going to get fired for walking up here? It's your part of your job. Why are you asking that? That sign right there? Does that bring up ethical questions about your company? Yes. Okay. Does that make sense? So this isn't just, you might think you're ethical, but is there mixed messages that we're sending? We have the safety posters off, but if the machine shuts down, are we threatening to fire them? Okay. All right, here we go. Perception of organizational support. The extent to which the company generally cares about the employees, quality of personal relationships between supervisors and subordinates, policy programs and benefits that aid employees in time of need. Okay, I have no question my agency supports me. Absolutely none. I know I could walk in there, you know, walk in, hey, what's up, guys? Or, hey, hey, this is going on, or this is going on in my life. And guess what? I have 
complete support. So what that does is it actually allows you to marry the organization. And a lot of times we're fighting over wages, which is a big deal, right? I know a man who literally worked part-time for minimum wage, literally had a stroke. And like two days later, it came to work. And the director had to say, listen, you got to go home and take care of yourself. No, no, I want to come to work. Didn't have a job five, six, seven, eight, nine years. Was chronically homeless. You know why he was able to work? Because he came to work and he was treated right. He was treated like a person. Then he came to work and he felt like, man, I actually have meaning now. I could actually do this. After years of dysfunction and not being able to put myself together, it, he liked the people he worked with because they treated him with respect. Guess what? That director tried to get, you need to go off. You can make more money. And blah, blah, blah. It was before the stroke happened. And when he came to the stroke, you had to go take care of yourself. He's like, no, I don't care. I want to be here with you and I want to be here at work. So is it about money or is it really about culture and people? Just to throw that out there. Number three, perception of management safety concern. Again, consistency between the message and the action. When we talked about this with the Why I Stay Safe campaign, if our only message is, let's keep our costs low, guys. It's been 90 days since the time off accident. That's cool. That's cool. Do you think your employees feel like you actually care about them? Or are you just worried that their bills are going to go up if you get hurt? I know this is raw truth, but it hurts. But this is stuff that's needed because we, we do this all the time. When safety doesn't work, you know what it is? We need to train them on lockout tag out again. Now, let's just find out like what's really going on. Like in Nick's story, it could be a situation that has absolutely nothing to do with the PPE or the end product, or it could be a procedure issue, the environment. So literally, I did some time at a, I did some time like I was in jail, right? I did some time at a vocational school. And I won't name the school. It's a good story though. But like literally... They surveyed the students. Do you know what the number one thing the students said that they liked about the school, the vocational school, was that they actually were convinced that the teachers, they actually cared about them. All the top performing school, they actually believed that the, that the teachers actually cared about them and that's why they love school and they love going there. That's a big deal, right? It sounds like a petty thing that's, hey, keep your emotions out of it. That was good for traditionalists. Now you're dealing with millennials that are pushing in the 40s. It's a total different ballgame. And Nick does a great presentation. How many are familiar with the hierarchy of needs? Remember that from school? And Nick brought out a great point. You know, back in the old days, you just had to survive. You just needed money to pay the bills. Now that the world's changed a little bit, it's much more comfortable. Guess what millennials have come into? They didn't come in survival or safety stage. They came in at belonging. So guess what their number one priority is? To belong. And generational Z is going to come in after that. And there's going to be another one that comes in. It's the self-actualization. Whether there people are talking about meaningful work. I just don't want to work for money. I want to do something I love. Okay. So number four, leadership membership exchange. This can be influenced by the quality of relationships. Again, you can't overcome this between supervisors and subordinates. How do we communicate? Are there different expectations? This is a big one. How many of you ever got caught in this hero victim villain thing? Where one supervisor, you say, nah, man, we can't, we're not, we're not allowed to let you do that. Then they either go to the other supervisor or a different shift and they're like, they let him do it. And then they come back to you like, well, John, let me do it. And it causes issues. Yeah, that's an alignment issue. Are all your supervisors on the same page? Do you have healthy communication? I remember working for a, another organization and I remember one time the supervisor was having a bad day. Okay. And we're in a meeting, and after the meeting, 
I was the first victim to be part of a rampage. I mean, it was almost like snot bubbles came out of her nose. She was so like that. And she must have felt some pressure because she wasn't there a year later, the next year. So I think her job may have been some personal things. So she decided to tell me how she really felt in a really bad way. So as she's speaking to me, guess what I was doing? At first I was mad and I wanted to like, you know, my mirror neurons are firing off and I'm, I wanted to like, you know, you kind of get that. How many, don't lie. Don't lie. Come on. And I'm like, nah, just take a deep breath. Then I looked at her. And then the second phase I went through is my inner middle finger, like a jack in the box started coming up. It's like, and I'm like, look at the clock. And I'm like, so I just tell her she's number one and get the heck out of here kind of thing, you know? But then I said, then I looked at her again. I'm like, you know what? I feel bad for you because you lost control. The pressure is too much for you. And I'm actually going to pray for you because this is a sad moment. And I kind of shifted my posture. But guess what I did? Peace out. Hey, you can, hey, you want to, this position? no, 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 no. I ain't working for you. I don't even want to see you on the street. But hey, hope it all works well for you. Employees don't leave good companies. They leave toxic cultures. Whether that's caused by a supervisor, one individual person, or an entire culture. People leave because of that. And research is showing it affects your safety. Got quiet in here again. All right. Lack of clarity is a big deal. Do I walk on the conveyor or do I not? You told me I had to, but the sign says no, right? Nonverbals. Diversity could be an issue, okay? And then hidden rules. We'll get more on that later. Okay. So here's the big question the guy from the Auburn said. I just love this. He says, are they accepting your safety message? That's a good question to ask, right? If you're having resistance and people aren't complying with your safety policy, you know, I don't know how many safety trainings I go to between safety Congress and, and stuff in the area. And all I hear from, from the can safety guy, that's why I like Nick so much. He actually gets to the root cause and goes deep in there. What they say all the time, policies and procedures, but you got to have that sort of policy manual. You got to have what's your procedure because you'll get sued. Listen, if your safety program is to not get fined by OSHA, you're wrong. If your safety program, if your motivation is not to get sued to have something in your manual, you're wrong. Is it good to have that stuff? Yes. But if your whole sole focus isn't to have people go home the same way they came, then we're off, right? And they eat this up. People can see right through it. All right. So here's a quote. No matter how complete a safety program may be in theory, if the program is not properly carried out by employees, its effectiveness will be diminished. No one's going to argue that, right? A factor in determining the degree to which employees will comply with the program is whether or not employees accept the safety message for management. Again, don't walk out of the conveyor. Go out there and get a sample. Hmm. You don't have any credibility with me now. I may do it so I don't get in trouble or fired, but you have no credibility with me. I don't trust you. You don't have my best interests at stake. You're fake. You're unethical. These are thoughts that we, our employees have, right? And so this is how we can address them. So he's saying you can have the best safety poster in the world. You can give Flay Mignon. You can give Delmonico's. That might motivate me, though, because I love Delmonico's. I mean, you ever heard of Delmonico? Raise your hand. Pat yourself in the back because you're good to yourself, okay? If you never had one, go cook yourself one tonight. Amazing. All right. Number five, loss aversion. This is why we can't be inconsistent with our safety message or how we supervise. This is a big deal. 
Loss aversion is the fear of losing something that can cause us to make irrational, some might say the elephant, and unsafe choices, especially in the heat of the moment. Again, Nick says this all the time. I'm really propping Nick up. Someone needs to tip him at the end of the thing. He always asks this question, you guys. Is safety just something you talk about five minutes of the toolbox talk, or is it part of your core values? Is it part of your guiding vision, your guiding principle? Is safety a part of it? Because if it's not, guess what happens? Productivity, productivity, productivity. If this machine goes out one more time, I'm going to have someone's beep. How many have ever said that? Be honest in the room. If we don't get this up, I'm living $1,000 an hour, right? Guess what message that? That may be totally true. But guess what message that sends? At all costs, get production done. So guess what happens? I'm there. A box gets jammed. I have a split second. And what I hear is push, push, push. Production, production, production. And then I hear safety, safety. In my mind, that's how my mind works. Your mind might be healthier than mine. I don't know. <laughs> be safe. Don't put your fingers in there. It's going to hurt. Get it done. You're going to get fired. Ah, which one do I pick? Which one do I pick? I got a split second to make a decision. What is someone going to do? If this thing's going to get in there, it's going to jam up in a half a second. We make a decision based off fear. I'm going to get fired, ridden up again. How am I going to pee my kids and all these different things? Guess what we do? Stick our fingers in there. Guess what happens? We either break our hand or lose our fingers. Loss aversion is a big deal. And if we hammer the production message, which is important, otherwise none of us would be in business, right? Productivity is very important. But if we hammer that in more than safety, okay, even if we say safety is a big deal, real big deal, but get those numbers high, right? <laughs> Whatever, however we put that, literally, if the message, underlying message is production, you're, you're going to have an issue or potentially have an issue with loss version. Here's what you do. One consultant company I talked to, Safety Congress, here's how they figure this out. Because most of us are blind to our communication. Sit down with your spouse tonight when you go home and ask them how you communicate. If there's any room for improvement and see what they say. Some of you don't because maybe the last thread. You know what this one consultant company does? They go every level. What's the number one message communicated at the organization? Well, they, they group managers together. And of course, they're gonna, you're a safety consultant. So guess what they're saying? Safety is right up there. Yes, sir. We tell them safety first. Go down every level. Go to supervisors. See what they have to say. Go down to your frontline employees. See what they have to say. And then get in a room together and face the truth. I did consulting with a company one time. And, you know, it's like that one movie. Can't handle the truth. All the supervisors in the room, I was not a popular guy. I had a survey from results that said a third of their company were looking for other work. And the supervisors were, you know, you could breathe it P.O. I don't know what, you know, you can use your imagination what that means. And they were not very happy that I was in the room telling them that a third of the workforce was looking for another job. And they're like, well, what about the economy? I'm like, listen, I don't know what the problem is. Well, what about that's the one? I'm like, all across all shifts, a third of your employees are leaving. That's a culture issue. Well, I, listen, you guys can determine what the cause is. I'm just here to tell you what your employees said. I came in, surveyed them. This is what they did. You may not want to face that. That's a hard thing to face. But if we are able to have the courage to face that, we could actually begin to change. And if we don't face it, guess what will happen? Nothing. And a lot of times it gets worse. Okay. How many of you deal with like unreliable employees often? If you have minimum wage, entry-level workers, this is usually an issue, especially in today's economy, right? We need How many are struggling to find good employees? Yeah? Okay. So do you have this issue? 
you're getting people that may not have worked, dislocated workers that may not have worked for a few years. Maybe they don't have a car, right? You're having some instability issues. This is a big deal to be able to fix that, okay? Number six, hidden social rules. These are the unwritten norms, cues, habits of economic class or other people groups. Someone say diversity, okay? Do you know this is such a big deal? Again, if you have minimum wage or entry-level type employees, raise your hand. Do you know how many people are in poverty? Just in Portage County, which is extremely low numbers because they base it off like $11,000 a year is the poverty line, which is completely ignorant. Because if you make 12 grand, you're living the life of dreams. You're living, you know, and then some of the programs we have, you got to be at what, 200%. So at 22 grand for a family of three is nothing. You know what I mean? And and so so the poverty stats, 15% of Portage County is in poverty, which is actually extremely low because that's looking at $11,000 year, 11,000 a year ceiling roughly. Okay. So the true number is probably closer to 25, 30%. It's probably double that. Okay. If you take minimum wage numbers and all that stuff, you could probably say it's probably closer to 25, 30%. That means you could have easily 20, 30% of your workforce that grew up in generational poverty like I did. You know what a characteristic of the culture of poverty is from someone in, not just through a bad situation, but grew up in poverty. You know what one issue is respect. They don't care if you're the boss. It's based on relationship. So if you come, I'm the boss. If you got to pull the boss card, I'm just telling you, I love CEOs and I have people I submit to in my life and they're cool people. But I'm telling you, if you have to pull the boss card, you have no relationship that's healthy with your employees because you're just threatening. If you have to threaten all the time, you know, think about marriages. I'm the man of this house. Oh, yeah? <laughs> okay. Okay. There's a lot of ladies laughing at this. How many of you ever heard the man card pulled on you? This is the same thing. Guess what? If 25% of your workforce, they may come from a different social norm. Again, it's a subculture. They don't care about your position. They're going to be like, I don't care if you're the president of the United... And now it's worse. The last couple of presidents is a little controversial, but go back to, to the good old days, 70 or 80. I don't care if you're the president. You're not going to come tell me what to do. And so guess what happens with those, what we call unreliable is actually they view respect personal. And so when you come over and you cuss them out at the machine because the machine shut down, guess what they're doing? Their inner middle finger didn't even have music to, to build it up. It just sprung. So guess what they do? They either confront you back in the same exact way you confronted them, or in a lot of situations, what do they do? They go, crap, now we got to find someone else. I can't find any good employees. Maybe it's the jerk supervisor that's the reason... You know, I've had a company tell me we have this one jerk supervisor and everyone he works with quits. But he's such a great worker. An $8.50 an hour worker on average costs $5,000. This is old statistics. It's probably higher. costs $5,000 to replace. So one jerk can be toxic to your entire culture, cause all kinds of issues, but we'll keep him on because he could load docs faster than everyone else. Well, guess what? No one else has a chance. I think of Moneyball, the movie. There's some things you could do by getting two above average compared to one superstar that's not going to cause everyone to quit. So now you get the production out, but now you have a turnover issue. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Is this, we're going to take up an offering. Hallelujah. All right. So this is, uh, there's more to this. Time management, all kinds of things related to these hidden rules that we get frustrated at. Okay. How many of you ever had an employee call off because they're taking Uncle Bob to the hospital? And you're like, you're going to lose your job. They're like, I don't care. Uncle Bob's sick. And we're like, well, if I was there, well, they don't think like you do. 
Family is more important than them. And I used to be mad at that. Now it's like, you know what? I kind of get it. Now that I have a kid, I'm like, you know, if you got sick, sorry. I'll find another job if I had to. I don't have to worry about that where I'm at. They're cool. Especially because they're in the room. They're really cool. <laughs> now I'm kidding. I work for the best agency in the world. I have the greatest job on the planet. We talked about this before, but this is a big deal. Because one thing with safety is we want it done right now. Okay? We want efficiency. We want it done now. We're still, even in business, even though we have five, ten-year plans, we still want everything to happen now. Guess what? When you start to make big changes, not everyone's going to come on board with you. <laughs> we should know that. There's a great model that we're not going to talk about today. It's called the diffusion of innovation. You have early adopters, early majority, late majority. Some people are never going to get on board and adopt what you're saying. But if you want the long path, this is a great tool. Let's go all the way to the bottom. These are the five stages of change. The first stage is pre-contemplation. So in this stage, your employees aren't even thinking about it. So you come with a new policy, right? And you say, hey, guys, it's going to be great. We're making these changes. You're going to love them. More rules. Man, you're just going to be so excited because you're going to go home safer. How many of you have ever had that happen? Yeah, no one's ever had. You may have said that, but they didn't respond and change, right? And pre-contemplation, they don't even want to change. They don't care. They don't even think there's an issue. Some of you bosses deal with this. One company I worked with, the HR manager comes up and says, man, I've been trying to get the CEO on board with all this, but you know what he keeps saying? I've been in the business 30, 40 years. This is the safest we've ever been. She's like, yeah, but three dudes almost got taken out by a tow motor this week. That's great that you're safer than you used to be, but are we as safe as we can be? So if we're working with bosses or employees and they're in pre-contemplation, you just don't throw everything out like a pep rally and think they're on board with it. They're like, man, I don't even see why we're changing. So you know what the solution is to this? Awareness. You know what a nice tool to use this? Near misses. So we're going to meet because Bob almost ran John over the tow motor. It didn't happen, but let's talk about this because someone could have got, you know, their legs could have been taken out the rest of their life because of this. So what can we do to prevent this, guys? Guess what happens? Awareness. Oh, crap. Maybe we do need to change. Next stage, contemplation. This is a place we're thinking about change. Usually from an act. So, so Bob gets hurt in a tow motor accident. Now everyone's like, I can't believe it. He might not be able to walk again. We need to do something about this right? What's the issue? You need motivation to finish out the process. Because how many of you ever been fired up to do something and then 10 minutes later, no one cares anymore. So the main issue here in contemplation stage is motivate them to go and finish the process. Preparation. Hey, we're looking at some new ideas here. We're planning. Hey, you know, we tried this behavior-based safety thing, but it didn't work out. But Nick came and said, you know, we're just doing it wrong. So we're going to try this new thing. We're kind of searching out whatever our options. We did this. We tried this before. It didn't work. How many of you ever relapsed in this? Where you're sitting here and you're going, we have all this plan and preparation going, and then it didn't work, and then we just never do it again. Yeah? We fall right back to pre-contemplation. So this could be for your corporate culture. It could also be individually. So if I'm dealing with people that are like, man, I want to change. I just don't know what to do. Well, let's sit and investigate some ideas and strategies together. On the preparation stage, Education is the issue. How do we do this? We want to be safer. What can we do about it? Maybe you bring a consultant in, maybe whatever. Maybe you just sit down and, and do some research and put together some education. That's where it comes in. Action phase. This is pretty simple. If we're in the action phase, we're taking action. We don't need to do anything. The big thing here is evaluation. 
Is what we're doing, is it working? Here's the key thing here. Well, going into the maintenance stage, the last stage, you're working to sustain that behavior change. How many of you ever heard of the Hawthorne effect? Raise your hand. Pat McCann, is he here today? He does a great whole thing. There's a podcast on it. The Hawthorne effect, they've been studying for hundreds of years. Literally, whenever they would make changes, let's say we're going to change the lighting of the room and in order to make things safe. When they initiate the change, guess what happens? Everyone acts safe or has a safety or productivity goes up for temporarily. Then it goes back to normal. And then they change the lighting again and it goes back up. So change is actually the precursor to a lot of a lot of results. But the thing is, it doesn't last. OK, so this maintenance stage is a big deal because we want to sustain the behavior. So how do we do that? This is the point where it actually gets ingrained and rooted in our culture. And Nick and I were doing a podcast recently where we were talking to a consultant and uh, she comes in and does big events, bonus events, right? Like, hey, I'm like, what do you guys, what do you do? She's like, I come in and do big events. I'm like, okay, so what do you do that, that the company actually sustains and kind of roots what you're doing in those big events and your culture so it doesn't just fizzle away? And she kind of looked at me like a deer in the headlights, like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you're going to come in and do a pep rally, but how much is health actually going to be affected? Because you're doing a big, so biggest loser. Guess what happened to all them? They're all fat again. So guess what happens? We do a safety pep rally. We get everyone fired up. So what we have to do is take that motivation, take the change that we're seeing for a couple of months in those big events and learn how to begin to shape our culture to our culture actually adopts that behavior and not just let that fizzle out again. Does that make sense? Where we're not driven by momentum anymore through a big event and big, we're going to have the balloons and let's take dinner and, and give out gift cards. Those are okay, but the motivation only lasts temporary. So what we do is we do those events now, bring it back in and figure out how we can ingrain that into our and adopt things in our workplace. Because if you just do a big event, guess what happens? Again, it fizzles out and you go back to square one. Now you got to keep doing events every quarter. But if you can learn how to adopt those principles and things you're doing at the big event or those behaviors and let it get ingrained in your culture, it takes care of itself. You no longer need momentum and pressure to keep it going. Does that make sense? All right. So that's part of staying sharp. At that point, you're doing good. You just want to identify stuff and keep putting it out there. So a lot of people that are not complying with their safety programs right here. How many would you agree with that? How many hard hat chasers we have in the room? You go to any, any facility. Hard hat area. How many you have to chase them around to, to get them? You got a hard hat cop. Hey, where's your glasses? Let me get you. All right. So here's the conclusion. Wrapping up. There's more to safety than education. Training is important, but there's more to safety than that. There's more than policies and procedures. Relationships are key, especially with frontline supervisors. I can't emphasize this enough. Your number one relationship isn't going to be with HR. How many work in HR? Raise your hand. How many times you get someone whining you because boss man was being mean again or being a jerk or threatening them this way, you know? Of course, none of our people do that because no one complains. Amen. We're taking up another offering. Hallelujah. All right. Make sure your message, verbal and nonverbal signs, <clears throat> are consistent across the board and do not contradict one another, okay? Determine how much your safety problem is actually a people problem in which social variables need addressed. The last one here, meet them where they're at. Identify the corporate stage of change. In other words, what's your corporate culture? Is your culture generally resistant to change? Then you're in pre-contemplative stage. So what you want to do is increase awareness there, okay? And then you apply the appropriate strategy. If you guys are doing good and you just want to improve it, you're in the maintenance stage. 
how can we just make small adjustments at that point, right? If you're in the preparation stage, what are some things? Can we get a consultant in here to kind of a fresh set of eyes? It's always a good deal. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.